It's time to eat. Get in my belly. Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast, and we want to make sure that you guys are eating in your leagues all year long. I know a lot of you are playing best ball right now. We are presented, of course, by BetOnline.ag, the online gaming website of choice for the Fantasy Feast podcast with the best odds and the fastest payouts. Use code BIGFEAST. We've got our MFL draft coming up at the end of this month. So we got one at the end of June, another one at the end of July, and then, of course, we will do our season-long league at the end of August. But for the best ball league, finally, you guys woke up. We got some people going ahead and taking advantage of some of the sponsor confirmations over at RossTucker.com. It's really easy, guys. Just go to RossTucker.com, hit up any of the sponsors like Omaha Steaks for Father's Day or BetOnline.ag, forward me the email, Ross at RossTucker.com, and say, Ross, I am going to destroy you and Evan. This week's winners, Mike. Mike, I didn't see your last name anywhere, but his name's Mike. And he took advantage of the Amazon banner ad over at RossTucker.com. He made a purchase, and he sent in an iTunes um, review. He gave us a five-star review. That helps your cause as well. We like it, Mike. Thank you. You are in, brother. Greg Radke. Seat Geek, he took advantage of the Seat Geek sponsorship. Got some really inexpensive tickets for a baseball game, and he's in. And Larry Crudup, Zipa, 100 Flowers, and Sherry's Berries. Larry Crudup was not messing around. Congratulations, Larry. You are in as well. So now we got four guys in. Evan and I are playing, obviously, so that's six. So the next two weeks... We will have three more contestants each of the next two weeks, which is very, very exciting. Can't wait to have you guys go toe-to-toe and get dominated by me and Evan Silva. I should mention probably Evan Silva was the star of the show. Evan, sorry, I've been doing other things. At Evan Silva on Twitter. He is the best in the business from Roto World. If you look at any, just Google best fantasy analyst. Google anybody that actually evaluates this stuff. He's the best, which is why he's my co-host and which is why you guys come here. Um, I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman that really kind of likes fantasy. It just makes the game so much more interesting. I like the strategy of figuring out who to pick for my team. Pretty awesome. I also absolutely love today's guest. He is a total stud. Next meal. Well, as promised, we are joined by, I told you it'd be a great guest. It, anytime we can talk to Warren Sharp from Sharp Football, it's awesome. Uh, he's definitely been on this show before. He's been on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. We did a part one and part two with this guy, which is all you need to know about the respect that I have for him. I don't even know if he's been on the Even Money Podcast, but we got to get him on it at some point. Um, you know, I thought he was really smart. And I, I like his tweet, and I had a lot of respect for him until recently where I saw a horrible lapse in judgment. 
Warren, did I read where you are having Evan Silva edit your 2018 football preview? <laughs> oh, yeah. that's It's such an honor for me. Uh, Evan's been in the game for so long, and he's a great writer. Uh, he's even even better editor, and so I'm really excited for that. You're absolutely right. Evan is an editor. Evan, are you really an I can't imagine you editing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the next step in my, my football journalism journey. You know, so, uh, but it was, it's a great opportunity to be able to work with Warren and um, just read his entire book before it comes out. And the way that I've done it, so I've been writing team fantasy team previews for each team. And I won't edit the chapter of Warren's book until after I've already done my own research. So I can like add, you know, a, a statistic that maybe that, that maybe helps in, 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 uh, in one of his chapters um, and I can also go back and, you know, if I learn something from one of Warren's chapters, it can help my own fantasy team preview. So the the, the things kind of work hand in hand, and it's it's been really funny. It's been really fun to just uh, be able to read everything that Warren writes and get into his brain and, you know, uh, read all the, the research that he's done and, and all of his thought processes on, on all these teams. Uh, and that's what we're going to focus this interview around today. Awesome. Check him out at Sharp Football on Twitter like we do, sharpfootballanalysis.com, sharpfootballstats.com. Warren, as is usually the case on the Fantasy Feast, I'm going to let Evan ask most of the questions, but I've been, you know, I follow you on Twitter. I love it. And I did have a couple of questions just on some of your, your recent tweets. I thought that the point you made about the Eagles' success on third down last year as potentially in part a byproduct of their aggressiveness on fourth down was really fascinating. In other words, they can they could call plays differently a little bit on third down knowing that there was a decent chance that they would go for it on fourth down, and, and that kind of manifested itself in the numbers of what they accomplished on third and long last year, didn't it? It, it did. And Evan's been on this uh, topic as well. Um, you know, a couple of guys have been kind of ahead of the curve with figuring out what, what the byproducts are of that aggressive nature on fourth down. And they do have a little bit more of a, I don't want to say a carefree attitude on third down, but they're just highly, highly aggressive because they know if they come up a little short that they're going to have a better opportunity, their coach is going to be more likely to let them get that next opportunity. So on third and long, third and eight to 10 yards to go last year, they converted a first down 48% of the time. That is literally unheard of. The next closest team was down at 40%. The NFL average was 29%. So they were basically 20% above average. Wentz was 68% completions. That was well above the NFL average of uh, 54%. He tossed nine yards per attempt. That was above the NFL average of 7.1. He posted a 136 rating on third and eight to 10 yards to go. The NFL average was 72. So he was just dialed in on third and long. The Eagles had some great play calls. They had some great play design, which is nothing uh, shocking now that we saw the, the course of their season. I mean, they, they spent a lot of time designing 
great plays, and then they obviously execute them. But it's the belief in the team, and it's the team's, you know, the, the coach's trust in the team, and then the team's belief in the coach that they will go for it if they come up just short, that I think definitely has them in an attitude where they're more likely to convert and they're calling better plays on these third and longs. So I, I like to play devil's advocate with you, Warren, just to hear your thought process. Couldn't you argue that if they're more likely to go for it on fourth down, that they're more likely to run plays, whether it's a run or a shorter pass, short of the sticks, because there's a higher likelihood that they will go for it on fourth down? Like, why would it make them more aggressive further down the field to go for it you know, on third and long when, when they're more likely to go for it on fourth down, if that makes sense? Well, because their play calls are designed to avoid fourth down from the get-go. So they are always going to try to convert and not need that fourth down. But if a pass comes up just short, obviously if it's, if it's incomplete um, and they, let's say it's third and ten and they throw ten yards in the air down the field right to the sticks and it comes up incomplete and it's fourth and ten, of course they're not going to go for it. And I'm sure there may be certain situations where they're on – uh, they're, they're like right around the 40 yard line. Let's say that the first down marker is at the 40 yard line and they're at the 50 yard line and they might be okay with calling a play that comes up a yard or two short so that then they can, they would go for it in that territory that they like to, uh, outside of field goal range, but it makes a lot of sense in the other opponent's territory for them to go for it. So there probably was a couple of those instances sprinkled in, but the way that the Eagles call plays is the way that most smart teams would call plays. And that is, we don't want to be in, first of all, we don't want to be in third down. So how are they in third and 10 often? Well, because on second and 10, they're not like the regular teams that are just going to hand the ball off after they throw the ball on first and 10. They're not just going to hand the ball off on second and 10 and hope that they get into third and eight or third and seven and have a better shot. They're going to try to bypass third down in the same way with on third and long, they're going to try to get a, a first down. They don't want to be put themselves into a situation where it's fourth and five if they don't have to. So it's an aggressive nature that they have of just trying to avoid those downs. Uh, and when they do get into the bad situation of being in third and 10, they're going to be aggressive and try to get those first downs, even though they may you know, if they come up a little bit short, they may still go for it. So they just have a very aggressive uh, play calling mentality. And that is that they, they want to bypass downs. It's like the early down success rate that I've talked about for so long. You don't want to be in third down. Try to avoid third down if at all possible. Of course, try to avoid fourth down as well. You also, Warren, have been tweeting lately about, you know, teams that are pass heavy, you know, on first and second down when the score is within seven points versus teams that are run-heavy. And you detailed the Rams, you know, with McVeigh and the Patriots and the Saints and the Eagles and the Chiefs were the pass-heavy group and the run-heavy group, you know, Cleveland, Chicago, Dallas, Tennessee, Carolina, Buffalo, Indianapolis, the Jets, and a lot of those guys lost their jobs. I guess, again, playing devil's advocate here, couldn't I look at that and say, okay, well, you know, Sean Payton has Drew Brees, Bill Belichick and McDaniels have Tom Brady, Doug Peterson had Carson Wentz, and then you look at the run-heavy group and it's like Trubisky and um, Jacoby Brissett and Tyrod Taylor and even Cam Newton, which is not as significant, he's not as consistent of a passer as some of these other guys. In other words, 
how much of what you how much of the stuff you write can you account for the success you know the the proficiency of the player themselves playing a part in why certain teams are pass heavy like I looked at that and thought, okay, well, the teams that are pass heavy all have better quarterbacks than the teams that are run heavy. So maybe that's part of it too. There, there is an element of that, and it's important to take that into consideration and understand the context there. Now, some of the teams that I didn't include, if you click on the actual chart that was tweeted out from the Sharp Football Stats website, you'll see that there are some teams that are in the run heavy group, such as Dallas Cowboys, which is the number two most run heavy team on early downs last year. Uh, they only passed the ball 43% of the time, so they ran the ball 57%. That was the second most run heavy. You also have the Tennessee Titans and the Carolina Panthers there in, in that grouping as well with teams that are much more run heavy than normal. They're only passing the ball 46% of the time. So these are teams with quarterbacks. They may be slightly younger quarterbacks compared to you know Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger and those types, but they still are – uh, it's a philosophy of their between their head coach and their offense coordinator. It's a philosophy of we want to try to establish the run. We want to run the football more often. Some of it comes from not having as good of a quarterback, but this, the point still remains that it is the least efficient manner in which to move the football in modern NFL. Uh, whether or not you do have a good quarterback or not, when you run the football, you're giving up average yards per play. And unless you can account for it by having a really high success rate in doing so, you need to change your philosophy. Um, it's like, for instance, the Dallas Cowboys, they run the ball a ton on first and 10. But yet with Ezekiel Elliott, they actually have been pretty good. So the backside is, the problem is they're very predictable, but at least they're good at doing that. Whereas there are other teams that are running the ball a lot, such as Cleveland or Chicago last year or Carolina, too often on first and 10, second and whatever, and they're not getting as many yards there, and they're putting themselves in bad situations. With the modern rules that we have in the NFL and the rules that are going to come about in 2018, such as uh, relaxing the catch rate rule and making a lowering of the helmet hits even more dangerous, like they're going to, I don't know if they're going to end up tossing guys out, but it's obviously in the rule book that they could certainly assess penalties. I think you're going to have even more of a propensity to desire to throw the football, especially over that short middle of the field, because you're going to have a high, higher catch rate. Those players are already protected. The quarterback already got his protection back in the 2010 season with the rule changes that they imposed during the middle of that season. So it's just easier to pass the football now than it has ever been in the NFL. And therefore, it's worse to run the football now than it has ever been. And teams that are smart are coming around to it. Of course, having and finding that good quarterback is something that is at the crux of what all teams that don't have one are looking to do. And for instance, hopefully the Chicago Bears, who were last on this list, they ran the ball, they passed the ball only 38% of the time of their first and second down plays last year. Hopefully Trubisky is going to be that guy for them. I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit and allow them to pass the football a little bit more this year, especially with their offensive coordinator now, and get a little bit more aggressive. But there is no doubt, with or without a good quarterback, the easiest path to victory is by passing the football. I think that's why we are seeing a bigger divide among the haves and the have-nots. The teams that have quarterbacks and are willing to trust those quarterbacks to throw the football are gaining even more of a leg up now than they did 10 and 15 years ago in the NFL. We're seeing a much bigger divide. I think we're going to see that 
continue in the in the future. The teams with the good quarterbacks who uh, trust their quarterbacks to throw the football, those plays inherently have more efficiency, and we're going to see those teams be the ones that continue to make the playoffs and excel. My last question before I give it to Evan is, you know, talking with you, Warren, I always see some of the hidden advantages for teams, you know, aggressiveness going for it, throwing the ball on second and ten, those type of things. And also, we've talked before, I think, on the Even Money podcast, gambling, about some of the advantages you have there in terms of the team totals and stuff. What, like, give me, give me an edge for this upcoming fantasy football season. Like, give me, do, do you feel like any of your data, your stats, your work, um, are directly applicable to, you know, what I should be doing with my drafts or even what I should be doing with my lineups for this fantasy season? Uh, definitely for the drafts, um, you know, there, one of the things that I'm doing in the book and, and attempting to highlight is situations where I think there's going to be more opportunity for certain players. And, I mean, Evan will tell you this better than even I can, that uh, in fantasy, it all comes down to opportunity, especially target share or attempts. Like, you basically just want the ball in your player's hand. And even if they're slightly less efficient, they're going to have success. Um, and one of the things that we talked about on, I think, one of our earlier shows, but I don't know that I had it finalized, was the strength of schedule. And we saw last season, uh, for example, Leonard Fournette had a great, great season last year for fantasy. I think he was inside the top 10 in terms of running backs. But yet his efficiency was not very good. Uh, his yards per carry was pretty bad, ranked near the bottom of the NFL. The number of attempts that gained two or fewer yards was very high. Uh, he just was not a great running back overall. He had some big runs, but most importantly, he had opportunity, especially down near the goal line. And why did he have so much opportunity? Is because the opposing, because the opposing schedule that he faced was very weak. I calculated him using my strength of schedule metrics as having the easiest strength of schedule heading into the 2017 season. Therefore, he got a lot of opportunities in those games because they were winning. And as a result, he had a high carry, uh, number of carries, and he was able to produce a very good fantasy football season. This year, the team that has the easiest schedule is the Houston Texans. So it's the difficult part, though, is figuring out which of those running backs, Lamar Miller and Dante Foreman, are going to be the guy who's going to get them to the next level. Dante Foreman, this is the situation that I hate in the NFL, is he was awesome on third down. He was great running the ball. He was awesome receiving the ball. Very good on third down. He wasn't nearly as good on first and second down. Lamar Miller had the edge on first and second down. And I hate the traditional third down back because you don't want that. You want a back, especially on fantasy, who's there on all three downs. They'll, they'll throw the ball to on early downs. They'll also use to run the football or catch the football on third down. And so I definitely don't love that situation. But if there's a running back who's going to come out and really exceed his ADP based upon like some of the analytics I know right now, it could be one of the guys from Houston if they really take that job by the horns and become sort of the bell cow of that offense because they have a very easy schedule. Their defense is going to be much better. I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities to have high carry volume, more passing targets, and that's really going to elevate them in the fantasy football draft compared to what their ADP is right now. Awesome. Evan, it's you, bro. Yeah, let's just stay on the topic of the Texans because they're a very interesting team. Of all the teams, uh, if you look at 
uh, the, the, the win totals that are released by sports books, they have the biggest change in their, you know, going from their 2017 win total, their final win total to their projected 2018 win total. So the sports books are expecting the Texans to take a big step forward. And that makes a lot of sense because Deshaun Watson presumably will be healthy. We only got to see him make six starts as a rookie. He's a candidate for regression on a number of levels. His touchdown rate probably won't sustain, you know, over a 9% touchdown rate. We don't see that sustained. It maybe it'll drop down to the, the 6 to 7% range. Uh, he's torn his ACL twice in the last four years. As you mentioned, the defense should be better. So they should be in because they're getting back J.J. Watt. They're getting back Whitney Merciless. They should be in more run-friendly game scripts and fewer uh, shootout scenarios that would elevate the production of their passing game. Another concern, you know, we had Jim Sonnes on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's done a lot of offensive line research. He has the Texans as the worst offensive line in football entering the season. Um, Warren, what have you noticed about uh, Deshaun Watson's performance under pressure? Um, and, you know, do you think that this is a significant concern for the Texans, this offensive line situation, or do you think that just the fact that Deshaun Watson's so mobile, he'll be able to offset that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's going to be at the crux of the, you know, if, if somebody drafts this guy, what he's going to get out of him this year, because he was pressured on 48% of his dropbacks last year. I mean, that is an insane, insane amount. Like half the time, just think about it, half the time you drop him back, pressure was getting to him. And so they made a big emphasis of changing and upgrading that offensive line. They actually have four new offensive linemen that are going to be starting this year, but none of them are rookies. They brought in guys from a couple of their teams. Uh, they're getting guys back who, who were injured last year. Uh, so they're really, I mean, it was definitely an emphasis for Bill O'Brien to come in and improve that offensive line to give Watson better protection. But also, it's interesting, you know, when they started the season last year, it was Tom Savage, a quarterback. They knew, probably they knew that they were going to put Watson in there. But you have to kind of create a totally different offense for Deshaun Watson. And the blocking schemes, especially for Tom Savage, are going to be very different. And so they had to change kind of like mid-year. They had a bye week, and they got one game in out of Deshaun Watson out in Seattle where he was insanely good uh, before he got injured and missed the rest of the year. So Bill O'Brien really couldn't make too many adjustments on that offensive line and, and, and us see what was going to be the result of that for Deshaun Watson. Now he's going to be able to craft a brand-new offensive line, work with them all offseason and in the preseason, trying to get them to prepare for Deshaun Watson's style. But it definitely keeping him clean is important because while Deshaun Watson was very mobile, he was only sacked on 17% of his 48% of his pressures. So there's a very low sack rate compared to his pressure rate. But when he was pressured, he was very impacted. He posted a 48% completion rate, a 71 passer rating, and only averaged 7.4 yards per attempt. When he was clean, 71% completion rate, a 124 passer rating, and nine yards per attempt. The 124 passer rating was the best 
of any quarterback in the league last year when he was kept clean. So it's extremely uh, important for them to keep this kid clean, especially if you got the knee injury, so you don't want to lose him again. He's so vital to that offense because look at the backups that they stepped down to. But in addition, if you want to win games, you can see that he's so much better when he's clean. Absolutely. Um, so let's. I wanted to talk about Mike McCarthy because he's a really polarizing figure. Um, I think certainly among Packers fans, his all-time record is 121-70-1. and You know, that's a he's won 63.3% of his games as the Packers head coach, yet he's catching flack all the time from fans who maybe analyze the game a little bit more intensely than just looking at an all-time win-loss record. And certainly, Warren Sharp, you do that as well. Um can you talk about why the, the skeptical Packers fans might be on to something when when they are talking about Mike McCarthy? Yeah, McCarthy, I write about this in the book. It's just so frustrating watching Mike McCarthy. I know that he's produced a great record, but how do you separate a coach from a quarterback? That's a big question that a lot of uh, analytics people and fans in general have is like, is McCarthy making Rodgers or is Rodgers making McCarthy? And I think it's the latter of the two. Uh, but when you look at, you know, what does Aaron Rodgers need? Like, it's very frustrating. This is literally one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the absolutely most talented. But since that 2010 Super Bowl, like, they haven't had luck getting back to the promised land. And I know it's very frustrating for a lot of Packers fans. It's frustrating for me. I want to see Aaron Rodgers play deep into the playoffs and have a lot of success. But the issue is, especially this year in the NFC, this division is so stacked. It's way more difficult than the AFC is. So you're going to need, like, all the tricks in the tool bag. You're going to need to bring everything out to try to make yourself – uh, efficient, as efficient as possible to take that leap and go to the playoffs and then have success there because there's there's so much competition in the NFC this year. Well, there's a couple of reasons why Mike McCarthy, just from some of the analytics, and again, I detail many more than these in the book, but I'll just give you a couple. So running back passes, we talk about this often, especially on early downs, what they add to an offense, and they add a, an element of uh, unpredictable uh, football. They add an element where the defense isn't necessarily going to expect it. So many teams just want to, hey, bring on our third down back and let's throw to him on, on third down. But that's the worst time to throw to a running back of any you know, first, second, or third down. It's also the worst pass to throw on third down. Passes to tight ends or receivers, number one and number two, those are the most efficient ways to convert first downs on third downs. Passes to running backs are very unlikely to convert first downs on third down. So the time to target running backs is on early downs. The NFL average has been, over the last several years, the last three years, because Rodgers didn't play most of last year. So I go, we'll go back to the last three years. So we get two, just over two years of Rodgers in there. NFL average is a 21% running back target rate on early down passes. The Packers target their running backs less than 15% of the time. That includes counting Ty Montgomery as a running back for all three of those years. So although he was a wide receiver and caught a few passes, you know, back in the early part of this study, I'm counting those as running back targets. He eventually was moved to running back. It's the lowest rate in the NFL. 
if they just incorporated a little bit more, and I, I mean literally like incorporating them. I don't mean like, oh, on occasion I'm, I'm being pressured, so I'm going to dump it to a running back. That will be some of it. But if you design a few of these running back passes, those are more likely to be successful than just a, an occasional dump because I'm getting tackled and maybe the running back is covered, but he still will catch the ball for a one- or two-yard gain that prevents a sack. Uh, we, need, we need actual running back targets on some design plays. That would really increase their efficiency. And then if you, one other one that I'll mention, if you look at their lack of running on second and short. So of all the times to convert a first down, the biggest slam dunk, if you put it into NBA terms, like you're on a fast break, just dunk the football, dunk the, the basketball into the hoop. That's what running on second and short does. It, it, it gets you that first down very quickly, allows you to keep the chains moving and, and keep recording first downs, which is what we want in the NFL. They run the ball so infrequently. Uh, in 2016, they ran on just 50% of their second and short plays. Uh, 2017, they ran at 52%. These are like literally the last couple of years, the least running team on second and short. And it's just such an easy opportunity to convert a first down. Uh, and I know you want the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, but there are times that you just need to take that first down and move along and give him another set of three downs to convert another first down. So it's just very frustrating. And I think that they're really going to need everything that they can get this year in order to escape this difficult NFC uh, conference. So I really wish that Mike McCarthy would study a few of the very basic things that really help elevate a team's efficiency. And it would definitely help Aaron Rodgers and his ability to have success and possibly win a Super Bowl. Yeah, it seems like they leave just a lot of efficiency on the bone. You know, they, they leave a lot of a lot of meat on the bone. Absolutely. And ways that they could just make their offense more efficient. Um, hopefully they get that figured out. They have talked a little bit this offseason about how they might make some changes offensively, and hopefully they do that. Warren, that was amazing as always. In fact, it was so good. I want to keep asking you more questions and have that for part two next week. So this is what always happens, Warren, when you're here. We end up going part one and part two because we got a lot of things we want to ask you, and the information is so good. Speaking, by the way, of good information, you guys can always get good information from Evan by asking him a question. Ever wanted to ask an NFL player a question? Well, here's your chance. It's time to ask Ross. No, you're not asking an NFL player a question on the Fantasy Feast. Let's be honest. If you're asking a question on the Fantasy Feast, you're asking it for Evan, and you become a part of it really the same way that you get one of these entries in the MFL draft against Evan and I, and that's by taking advantage of any of the sponsors over at RossTucker.com, like Omaha Steaks, like BetOnline.ag, like all of them. Check out the sponsor page at RossTucker.com. Then send me the email, Ross at RossTucker.com, with your question. Or say, hey, I want one of these MFL entries. I am going to take Evan down. This question, Evan, comes to us from Scott Boyd from South Jersey. He said, Ross, I have a question for Evan Silva. The guy is a consummate pro. I find myself taking a one-running-back approach in mock drafts, meaning three wide receivers and one running back in any order in the first four rounds of mocks. Then I grab a few pass-catching and high-upside running backs afterwards. 
assume two wide receiver, two running back, and one flex PPR league. It just seems to make sense to me when guys like Theo Riddick and Duke Johnson end up being RB2s at the end of the fantasy season. Can you analyze this approach and let me know reasons why I shouldn't practice this strategy? Thanks a million. Actually, a good uh, a good question, Evan, coming off of our conversation with Warren Sharp. He mm-hmm. likes in his first four picks to get one RB and three receivers and feels like he can get you know, more of a, a pass-catching uh, running back later, um, later on in the draft. And he wants to know if there's any downside to that. No, it's a very viable strategy. I've taken this strategy. Um, you know, I've, I've used this approach many times, um, especially like you start off the draft. You know, you get Todd Gurley at, at one, and then you come back at the two-three turn, and you know, you maybe maybe you get Keenan Allen, uh, maybe you get Michael Thomas if you know running backs are going really really hot and heavy, which they have been. Um, you know, in, in the first couple of rounds. Uh, A.J. Green is a guy who's sometimes available there. Mike Evans, I think that Doug Baldwin would be very viable there. Um, Doug Baldwin actually might even make it to the uh, to the the four five turn. Uh, he's very undervalued. Um, Devonte Adams would be in the mix there. It's it's a very very viable strategy, and it's sort of. But you you have to understand it's also specific to PPR, because in non PPR leagues. The Theo Riddick, you know, the Duke Johnson, the Giovanni Bernard, those guys really are, are un- Chris Thompson, those guys are unlikely to help you. But in PPR, you can use those guys, you know, like almost like his streamers, um, you know, maybe targeting defenses in, in a particular week that struggle to defend running backs. I, I put a lot of data on that kind of thing in my matchups column each week. You know, there's there's data that you can get on that. Um and what you're doing is you are really creating a strong foundation uh, at wide receiver in a PPR league and with your RB1. And then in your RB2 slot, you're kind of streaming week to week because you can end up getting a bunch of those pass-catching RBs that are viable. And they do end up finishing in the top 25 and top 30 at the end of the season. What you really want is are the big weeks, though. And you certainly should continue to be working the waiver wire and try to trying to find running backs um, that can be bell cows because that really isn't in the range of potential outcomes for Theo Riddick, for Duke Johnson, maybe less so for Giovanni Bernard. But, um, you know, that there, there is not a big ceiling on Duke Johnson and Theo Riddick and Chris Thompson to where they could become league winners. And at the end of the day, you're going to need to jam pack your, your starting lineup with league winners. So those running backs can get you by early in the season in your RB2 slot. Um, but over the course of the year, you want to continue to try to aim for something bigger in your RB2 slot. But I, I think it's a great way to build a team. I really do, especially in PPR. Well, that was awesome. It's the Fantasy Feast Eaton Podcast, finishing it up, which, by the way, is the perfect podcast for Omaha Steaks to advertise. Are you kidding me? You got Evan, big dude, loves to eat. I'm a big dude, loves to eat. We're both dads, and Father's Day is coming up, and Omaha Steaks is amazing. This deal, it's got to be like one of those lost leader deals. I don't know how they do it. 
All you need to do is go to omahasteaks.com, type feast, baby, in the search bar. So right when you go to omahasteaks.com, put feast in the search bar, and you get this crazy package that's two tender filet mignons, two beefy top sirloins, four chicken fried steaks, two boneless pork chops, four all-beef Omaha steak burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all-beef meatballs. You get a pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus four more grill-ready Omaha steak burgers free with your purchase. Again, it's only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com, type feast in the search bar, and add the Father's Day package to your cart. So buy it for yourself, buy it for your dad, your grandpa, or ask your wife or whoever, your kids, to get it for you. omahasteaks.com, type feast in the search bar, grab your dad, and fire up the grill. That'll do it, by the way. For today's Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast, unbelievable stuff from Warren Sharp, unbelievable stuff from Evan Silva, and great job by you guys, the new entries into the MFL draft, and whoever else wants to get in this week, you guys know what to do. I'm stuffed. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.